Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and as you know I'm the presenter of the Food Talk show. As usual every year I come to the International Food and Drink event um, at Excel and it's normally in the middle of March um, and I'm here today and I've been, I'm wandering around and as usual I feel really sick because I've been eating crisps and drinking vodka and then ice cream and then a plant-based something um, but there's some really great innovations here and I'm very lucky to be joined by you're going to introduce yourself Soraya Gadorab and I am the event director of IFE I'm actually a portfolio director at Fresh Montgomery and I look after our food and drink events so that is IFE the International Food and Drink Event where we are today and um, Protopack which is our processing and packaging event for the food and drink manufacturing sector which is taking place alongside IFE today I also run the Speciality in Vine Food Fair, which takes place annually at Olympia in September, and a lovely event in Belfast called IFEX, which um, supports the food, drink, hospitality and retail industry in Northern Ireland. So you don't do much then? No, I have lots of time to sit around twiddling my thumbs. It's a very, very, very busy job. (laughs) So just to describe, um, if you've never been to IFE, or indeed Speciality uh, Fine Food Fair, um, we're in um, XL, which is a purpose-built... I think it was built in the 80s, 90s actually. It's purpose built. Um, it's absolutely huge. And I think I'm right. Uh, you'll be able to tell me if I'm wrong. I think there's 1,300 odd stands here. You're absolutely right. There are 1,300 exhibitors in the IFE part of the event. Um, we are here at Excel. Funnily enough, it was built in the late 90s and I think it opened in 2000. And IFE was actually one of the first events to move out to Excel. It was a little bit taboo at the time. East London, this sort of wasteland in Docklands and this big exhibition, this pu- big purpose-built exhibition centre opened up. In East London, previously everything was at Olympia or Earl's Court and and we were one of the brave few who said, okay, we're going to take a chance on this East London venue and here we are, um, well, 19 years on from that, still here at um, Excel in London, hosting 1,300 food and drink suppliers in IFE plus another 100 packaging and processing suppliers in the Protopack exhibition. So, so um, if, you're a, if you're a producer, say, and obviously there's loads of other people here from logistics to packaging and all sorts of other things. If you're a producer, you know, you have a choice. If you don't have much money for marketing, you know, shall I go to IFE? Shall I go to speciality? You know, shall I go to all of them? Um, is there a particular one that might suit me? You know, what's the difference and what should be your decision-making process if you are going to exhibit? I mean, we, we talk about the, you know, the sort of skills of exhibiting later, but... but you know, why should you choose to come here? How will you benefit? I think it's really important um, when you start a food business, or any business in fact, is to start with your customers. Who are your customers? And, you know, I have a wonderful sales team in the office and they generally work on one show or another, but they know about all of the events. And generally the team, when, when somebody calls in and says, look, I've, I've just launched a food brand, I'd like to exhibit, because they understand that's permission marketing. There's lots of buyers in the halls that are there deliberately to buy. So they'll call in and say, look, I want to exhibit. And our team are brilliant. They really get to the heart of what it is they are trying to achieve. And I think it has to start there. Who is the customer you are trying to target? Are you trying to target the retail market, the food service market, the manufacturers, the wholesalers, for example? That's pretty simple. Most people have an answer to that. 
So just to interrupt you there, so don't just go on a website and book a stand space, which is what I thought you should do. You know, I'll go online, I'll book a stand space, I'll pay for it. It is perfectly reasonable to ring up the team and, and, and advisable actually, ring up somebody, whether it's your type of exhibitions or somebody else's exhibition and say, give me a profile, who it is, and actually ask for some advice. A hundred percent. You know, our team always want to have a conversation. We don't want exhibitors to come, book a stand, and then find out it wasn't the target market they were they were after. You know, it, it's no good for them. It's no good for us. We want we want to support the food and drink industry and support the food and drink manufacturers. So it's always got to come down to let's start with the objectives, understand like I said, the, the 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 sector they're targeting. But within that, there's so many differences. Are we looking at the independent um, retail market? Are we looking at local, regional? Um, distribution within the region that we're we're producing in, or are we looking to get into the major multiples and the team really drill down into that and try to understand and often might say do you know what based on the answers you give me maybe this isn't the right place to be you should actually be at our sister show or or, or advise or maybe it's too early or maybe they're not ready and, and that's one of that's actually a really valid point we do sometimes meet um, or speak with producers who've just started their journey and they're fantastic and they've got a great product. But if they haven't been through all of the due diligence, whether that's labelling, distribution channels, etc., etc., they can come to a show like this and meet customers, but they're not ready to actually supply the market. So we very much help them to get exhibition ready. We do a lot of exhibition education um, exhibitor education, sorry, in advance of any of the events we run. We host a day where we bring in... Yeah, is it okay if I just go on to that uh, for a minute? I just want to try and um, just just go back to that point, if that's okay. So you really have to get clear in your mind. You know, Is it that I want to get into independent delis, little retailers and stuff like that? Do I want to get into a supermarket? Do I want to... So, so what you really got to understand is... Who is my audience and what am I going to be there for? And then build your stand and your, your, your selling you know, tactics, if you like, around that. And be very focused, not just general, just somebody's walking past who, I don't know, maybe has got in here, they shouldn't, but maybe has got in here because they just fancy a load of freebie food. You've got to work out who you're talking to. 100%. Um, I think there's two bits to that. Yes, you have to know who you're targeting. So if you have a product that is for the food service market, it can be a brilliant product and you, maybe you've got some retailers looking at it, but you've only packaged it for food service. So these are things you need to have asked yourself in advance. You know, If you've got a retail pack that the, the, the retailers are going to buy and put on their shelves, that's great. But what if a food service operator comes along and says, well, I love that product, but I can't buy it in small packets. I need it in bulk um, for the kitchen. So you've got to have thought all of these things things through in, in, in advance but saying that one of the things you find is exhibitions are a great place to test the market so actually maybe you've got a great product and you haven't answered all those questions yet there's nothing wrong with using this as an opportunity to talk to the industry get feedback on the products the packaging the labeling and then from that can formulate the next steps that makes perfect sense then doesn't it so you could do this as a trial i mean it's quite an expensive thing to do but actually that might be a really good way of getting customer feedback but again would you advise somebody who's doing that you know bring some paperwork with you you know take a bit of um, some you know write some notes see what people are saying make sure that when you end the four days you've got some really great series of notes and they're saying do you know what nearly everybody is saying we should do it in a bigger size or, or they didn't like the brand but the product was amazing or and, and, and actually make sure you record that to really help you develop to the next stage 
Absolutely. I mean, I think even established brands who've been in the marketplace for, for 20, 40, 50 years still need customer feedback. And, and you have to remember, whilst this is a business-to-business event and people are here to be trade buyers, every single person is also a consumer. So actually, there's nothing wrong with brand awareness for your brand at a trade exhibition to 30,000 people. Maybe they're not the buyer who's going to buy your products wholesale or in bulk for, the, for that large retailer, for example, but they're still a consumer who might buy it when they go to Tesco. So you've got 30,000 people in these halls. Use them to help define. 30,000, my God. I told you it was big. I told you it was big. Um, so I've been wandering around and um, uh, I'd quite like to talk about some trends later, actually, the things I'm seeing um, here uh, over these four days. Do you mind just giving us some top tips? Now, I didn't realise that if you book on to um, a stand here, you can take part in some exhibitor training. You've got loads of resources to help people. You know, you're not just selling space. You want them to succeed. Um, what, what is your overriding top tips? And, and I would advise anybody who is going to spend money on a stand, and let's face it, taking four days out of your business is a, is a big investment, let alone anything else. What's, what's your top tips? Or should we say, no, what's the biggest mistake, the mistakes that people most often make? Oh, I think I've seen quite a few over the years. I think there's the, there's the very straightforward ones. You might walk past the stand, they've got a great product, but the guy on the stand sitting in the back, reading the newspaper, eating a sandwich, not engaging. And I could be the biggest buyer for his product, but if he doesn't engage with me, I might just keep walking and, and miss it. And I think that's the first thing, stay engaged, stay alert, and engage, you know, and, and, and interact with people. People on their phones drives me mad. And I'm thinking you spent all this money on your stand and you're sitting there texting your girlfriend or something. It's like, come on. There's always time for that when you get your <laughs> lunch break or your coffee. But when you're on the stand, it's business. And I know it's fun being exhibitions, you get people to talk to. But, but you've got to focus on, the, on what you're here for. And, and presumably it's probably better to have two of you because you will not believe how tiring it is. And actually, I do think you need at least two people so that you can have regular breaks and, and uh, you, can, you can relieve each other, actually. So you can do some emails and you can do this, that and the other um, because you have got to stay chirpy and alert and smiling and be the face of the brand, haven't you? Absolutely. And as you might hear, my voice is going a bit hoarse after five days in these halls. So um, I, it, you do get exhibition fatigue. But I think... One of the things about having two people on the stand, and I always encourage this, is if we go back to the previous point, know your market. I know that I am targeting, for example, major multiple retailers. Then if you've got someone on your stand who's your spotter, as people come along, read the badges, identify who they are. Once again, everybody's relevant because everybody's a consumer, or they could mention it to somebody else and, and be an ambassador in a way of your brand. So engage with everybody. But those who are on your key target list, if you've got a spotter checking the badges, having the introductory conversations, those who then when the, those gems come up that are on your target list, you can pass them through to your second person who can sit down and actually spend time having a lengthy conversation with them, but you're not tied up with someone who possibly isn't on your target list um, in, in those lengthy conversations. So you've got someone to, to sort of filter them. So that's a really good top tip. So, so um, you need a spotter. So make sure you've got a spotter. I mean, that's a really good idea because actually sometimes people are time suckers and, and you've got to be quite ruthless, I guess, about thinking about having a conversation with somebody for 10 minutes who actually is probably not particularly useful um, and, and somebody who you might just miss and, and actually they're a, they're a key buyer. Absolutely. Get a spotter. Get a spotter, but still have respect for everybody in the halls because every single person in here is a consumer, so don't forget that. 
And the other tip I would say is don't ignore the junior buyers. The junior buyers will become the buyers of the future. So don't just dismiss them thinking they are not important. You only want the senior buyers. They are going to become the buyers of the future and they are influencers as well. So make sure you treat everybody with respect, but filter your conversations between the quick chats and the key targets. And in terms of um, body language and, and you know, um, the way you present yourself, is it important to be smart or is it important to reflect the brand? Should you stand behind something or should you be in the aisles you know, accosting people? What, what, what's, your, what, what, you know, what's your sort of, um, sort of top tips there? I think if you looked at exhibitions in general 20 years ago, it was very suited and booted, all the big FMCG brands and quite serious business. These days, we are all doing business, but we do business in a different way. And the brands you see around the halls today have their own identity. The people are passionate about their products. They want to tell their stories. So I encourage reflecting your brand. You don't have to, if you're a funky young brand that's all a bit hipster, don't turn up at an exhibition suited and booted. It's not going to... It's not consistent, is it? Not consistent at all. In terms of how to approach people, I think it's always great to be smiley in fact i think it's international happiness day so i hope everybody's smiling across the halls um today you've got to be approachable smiling and open be there at the front of the stand as people walk past engage with them see if they're interested in if they're if they're targeting the, if they're looking for the particular products that you supply however you ask should they be accosting people in the aisles as the organizer i'm going to say no if we had 1300 exhibitors running up and down the aisles accosting people i'm not sure the buyers would ever come back so your stand is your stand think of it as your little showroom for the week and use that to portray the best of your brand the best of your people and engage with people from the stand and then presumably once you you know somebody does stop and speak to you you, you need a you need your little sales pattern don't you and it's got to be incredibly short and to the point and friendly um, and engaging and you've, you've got you've got to practice that presumably yeah but I think there's one thing that comes before that even which is your stand design and um, as you walk through an exhibition like this there are so many exhibitors doing different things and visitors have only got a few seconds to look at your stand and identify what is your product so first of all you need to make sure your stand says through the branding through the imagery okay, this is a drink, this is a snack food. And they know straight away which category it's in and they can identify whether it's relevant to them or not. So you don't even have to then say, it's a drink. But then you see that they're engaged, they're looking at your brand, you might start a conversation with, oh, I see you're interested in, in the drinks category. Where are you, which establishment are you from? Are you a buyer, are you a chef? And open up the conversation, understanding who they are and what they're looking for. Then of course, you should know your product, you should know the story, and I think, more and more the industry wants products with stories with history with passion and the more you can convey that rather than oh it's a product and it sells at the right price and it wholesale for example i think people are going to buy into the stories much more so soraya are you saying then that, that actually the first tactic is probably to ask somebody about themselves rather than stand there blurting out exactly what you do because once you get somebody talking to you about them that then first of all they're engaged um, but also you can work out exactly what aspects of your product they're interested in 
Absolutely, and I think the, the trick here is everybody's wearing a badge, so you've got a piece of information about them before you've even opened your mouth. You can see from their badge which establishment they're from and which category of um, visitor they are. So it's, it's quite easy to have that conversation in a really non-salesy manner. Oh, I see you're from Waitrose. Oh, are you, a, are you a drinks buyer? And then they start talking to you about what they do, and it just opens up that friendly conversation rather than the hard sales pitch. And, and then uh, when somebody is interested or, or you know, say it is a Waitrose buyer and somebody's talking to you how, do you, how do you capture that and how do you take that forward? I think there's a couple of ways you can do this. We have the world of technology these days. We have scanner apps, so all of the um, visitors in the halls have filled out their demographics when they've registered. And you can set up a little survey with the different questions you might want to ask all of the buyers. If you scan their badge, then you get the demographics and you can... Um, tick off the sort of answers to the questions that you've um, asked them. But on top of technology, I always like a little bit of an old-fashioned, almost an interview question. So I will have sheets printed out. I would have sheets printed out with the key questions I would want to ask any visitor. So, um, you know, how many stores do they have? What's their distribution? What are their distribution channels? Um, what sort of accreditation or certification they might need to, to if, if they wanted to stock my products? And these, are, and then a little bit which is more about them and what their USPs are. So if you capture that handwritten notes, you get a little bit more about the story. And also you're more likely to remember that than just the tick box on the scanner app. So it's a combination of the two. They're brilliant to build your database, but this should be the, the story behind the conversations you're having. Well, what do you do with that data? So say a Waitrose um, buyer or whoever it is, you, you know, is, is actually very interested. Are they likely to say, that's brilliant, I love that, can I have... 20,000 of those next Tuesday they're not going to say that are they um, how, how does that type of conversation progress it's interesting um, because we have such a wide variety of visitors within the halls people do take orders at the stand a small independent might say do you know what I'd like two cases of that next week that said there are many wholesalers who place large orders at the shows and, and take them away if we're talking about the major multiples, it's a longer process, they need to have various accreditations and it's a longer conversation. But if a buyer from a major multiple is seriously interested and gives them gives you their personal business card, that's that's gold and that's you've cracked it then. Absolutely. And they will contact you? I think you need to follow up, remind them about the conversation you had, maybe put something personal in there. Oh, it was great that you told me you liked coconut milk. Just to remind them, because I would have seen 50 things that hour. Exactly. So just be, rem- be rememberable. And those um, key multiple buyers, they really do know what they're looking for, aren't they? They are not going to say, I like your product, I'm interested, um, if they're not, because they just, they just get inundated every, you know, every day. So if they genuinely are interested in engaging you and, and giving you information about them, they really mean it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the category buyers from the multiples, they're already stocking six butters on the shelf, 18 cheeses, etc., etc. It takes a lot to replace a product on the shelf, so you've got to stand out enough for them to want to to, to take another product off the shelf and, and put yours on there. So if they've got to the point of handing that business card over, they're interested. So I've been at my stand for four days. I'm absolutely exhausted. My feet ache. My spotter's feet ache. And um, it's come to the end of the show and, and everybody's packing up. Um, that's when the work starts, actually, isn't it? Um, because you will have all these business cards and all sorts of other things. Um, 
a lot of people spend a huge amount of time and effort being here, but actually it's the follow-up afterwards that's even more important because that's what's going to make your business succeed. I'm so glad you said that, Sue. Follow-up is where the work really starts. We think the exhibition is tough. You've got to do all the hard work afterwards. There's 1,300 exhibitors who've been talking to the same buyers as you over those four days. You need to be memorable. So, you know, after the show, send them a note. Maybe it's a pic- it's got a picture of you on your stand so they remember your stand and send all the follow-up within the next two, three, four days. Because if you don't, everybody else is going to get in there first. And you- so that's a competition in a way. And, and so, so, you know, you've cleared four days to do this. You probably had a week beforehand where you're getting extra product together and you stand together. But actually, you need to clear the following week because you must follow those up and, and be ready. I mean, you could have those letters ready, couldn't you? Or emails or whatever it is, or samples already. So that actually, quick off the blocks, that person's in their office the next day, your stuff suddenly arrives, it was great to see you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. I think you have to plan that into your exhibition plans. You plan to book out the week after the show for all of the follow-up. Um, you know, depending on the size of the company, and this is a luxury that some may not have, you may have a team back in the office that you actually, that if you had that conversation on the stand that day that was that gem of a conversation, why not call the office and say, can you get those samples out to that buyer this afternoon? Because that's going to be there before they go back to their office tomorrow. So, you know, follow-up is key. And actually, there was an incredible statistic I heard. It was about 10 years ago, and I know that as an industry, we've worked really hard to change this. But um, the Association of Exhibition Organisers surveyed many exhibitors across different categories of exhibitions. And the unbelievable statistic came back that 70% of exhibitors didn't follow up their leads. Oh, oh, please don't tell me that. Please don't tell me that. That makes me really upset. Um, You know, because you're running a business. It it might be food, but you're still running a business. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, if you think of all the money, the time you spent out of the office, and then you don't do the follow-up, it was for nothing so you must plan it in and that's why we do a lot of this exhibitor education in advance to help people to prepare themselves for that so i've learned today then that i need a couple of people on my stand it's, it's probably impossible to do it on your own uh, i need a spotter thought that was good i need to work out who somebody is and what they're interested in um, and uh, um, make sure you've got all your follow-up plans sorted any other key things that people miss do you think Definitely. Um, It's the pre-show stuff. So, you know, you think, oh, well, I'm going to start at that exhibition on the 17th of March and I'll be there till the 20th. Well, you've got from the time you make the decision to be at the stand, to be at the exhibition until that 17th, the show opens on the 17th of March to tell people you're there. Um, You know. What you mean, come and visit me, I'm on this stand, etc, etc. And that might be somebody who's had a little bit of contact with you before or or somebody you've come across, Just, just try and generate a bit of traffic. It's both. Um, So many exhibitors use this as an opportunity to um, meet their existing customers. They know that many of their existing customers are coming to the show anyway. Well, let's set up meetings and show them the new ranges we're launching or catch up on the categories that are doing well. So, you know, tell your existing customers you're going to be there because they're probably going to be there as well. But of course, this is also about generating new business and that's often, for the majority of people, it is the key objective. So, you know, tell the world you're there. Social media is buzzing, especially with food and drink. I mean, food and drink is one of the most used, most common subjects on social media. We've got great followings and engage with the brand, engage with the show and tell people you're going to be there. Send them a picture of what you think your stand might look like so they recognise you or your branding so that, you know, it's not 
the first time that they've heard or seen of your brand when they get to the show, there's already some brand recognition there before they've arrived. So, Soraya, what I'm getting from you really is that actually you don't have to have a lot of money um, in order to do this. Um, you, you, you could have quite a basic stand as long as all your products are there. But if you're really, really well planned before and during and after, you can make a, a huge impression if you really get all your ducks in a row. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's the small startups who may make the big, biggest impact. We deliberately have some very small stands here which are for entry-level companies who've never done an exhibition before. Maybe they've got a brand new product that's never gone to market. They're inexpensive, but they're an opportunity to have a showcase uh, for four days at a major international trade show. Those guys, they're so passionate about their product because it probably is their life, their family business. So they have great stories and great passion. And those are the people that I find are brilliant at social media. They tell the world all about their story and where it's come from. And that is where we see a lot of the food and drink innovation coming from these days. Those small startup brands. And like you said, it doesn't have to be particularly expensive to have a small stand. But just work it. Make sure everyone knows your brand. And be exciting. Be different. Stand out. Well, there you go. I mean, that, this, this stuff is gold, really, I think, and, and it's something you've got to really consider. Now, wandering around um, today, there, there's, there's a few things that I would say. Um, first of all, please don't mortgage your house up and start making crisps. That's one of my top tips. Or, or gin, or water, I would say, or ice cream. Um, there's, there's quite a plethora of that, and I think if you are considering doing something new you need to go into a market which isn't yet saturated you need to be at the beginning of the curve don't you not afterwards yes i think you know trend watching is absolutely part of what we do and we need to make sure that the show reflects the trends and looks at where what what are going to be the new trends in in the coming years i think we've all seen the rise of veganism and plant-based foods over the last say 12 to 18 months but i'd say that's a category that has still got legs and if you are launching a new product that is massively on trend they're not allowed to have legs though are they because they're (laughs) (laughs) plant-based and they're vegan (laughs) i'm being flippant plant-based is huge and i I do think that a lot of people we talk a lot about it on the show actually but i think a lot of people are looking for varieties and brand extensions into that area and there's there's still a way to go on that there's definitely a way to go on that and i think also it's it'll be interesting to think about meal times because we're seeing alternative proteins. Jackfruit's a huge um, new product that probably three months ago nobody'd heard of, and we've got a few different jackfruit companies here at the show. But actually, they're great. We've got new alternative proteins. But actually, I want a grab-and-go snack that is plant-based, tasty, and on the move. So think about the meal times, the snacking options, the food-to-go market, because that still isn't as advanced as it could be i think we all want healthy functional tasty food that suits us at the moment that we want it whether that's in the street on the tube um what i'm seeing a lot of i think and uh, just starting to see that here is a lot of people uh doing it could be vegan it could be plant-based it could be anything but actually saying i've managed to spend a lot of time developing this product and this product is good for your skin or this product is good for your hair or your heart or whatever and actually starting to package up stuff that is very much aligned with health 
almost going into the sort of medical side, you know, almost. Um, and obviously they can't make massive claims, but actually people looking to, how can I, you know, how can I do this rather than take a tablet, rather than take, you know, some pharmaceuticals, actually looking more and more at food as a source of that. And I think that's just starting. You're, you're spot on, Sue. Um, food as a, med- as a medicine is nothing new. People have been using food as a, as a medicine for generations and generations, from the time of the pharaohs, from the Incas. They understood the beneficial properties of, of, of various products. We live in a time where we've got the science and the technology to start understanding that and unpicking it. Previously, it used to be a little bit of a myth or an old wives' tale. It worked, but no one was quite sure why. So I think the food technologists in the industry have started unpicking why X product is good for your skin, your nails, your whatever. Exactly. I mean, how much, how, how much a rise in turmeric have we seen in the last year? Pret-a-Manger and Eat, they do turmeric lattes. It's because people want something that is healthy and does something something good for them. And you know, turmeric is great for many things, including being an anti-inflammatory and among other things. So it's it's that end of the food as a, as a medicine that I think we are going to see more and more of. And there's some trailblazers in that space. There's a doctor, Rupi Anjali, who is um, um, a medical doctor working with culinary, um, uh, culinary schools helping the food technologists um, to understand food as, an, as a medicine so that when they graduate and become chefs or product developers, they can actually use that science within the products. Universities are doing a lot in that space as well. Um, other thing I'm seeing quite interesting is uh, dairy. So people trying to reduce their dairy intake. Um, starting to see quite a lot of, of that around. Having said that, there's thin masses of artisan cheese. So <laughs> it's, a bit of a, there's, there's, it's quite an interesting thing going on there. I completely see why they kind of look like they completely oppose each other. But actually, I think we want it all. We want free from everything because it's better for our digestion or we're allergic to it or intolerant to it. But we're also indulgent people. So we want to eat healthy on one side, but then we really want to pig out on a cheese board. Treat. So, yes, I can see that. Um, craft beer is big um, again, but I think the rise of non-alcoholic drinks is, is massive. And you know what? So many people haven't cracked that yet. Um, some interesting things I'm seeing, particularly around um, kombucha, is is trying to get non-alcoholic and soft drinks into very high-end restaurants and hotels, so that people who aren't drinking have got a really decent alternative. There's masses and masses of opportunity there, and and um, a great opportunity to innovate. Yeah, I think I think adult soft drinks is is going to continue for some time. I think it's something that's been possibly underdeveloped in previous years. We all know our fizzy drinks and juices. I was thinking more of um, the sort of non-alcoholic beers, and and nobody's sorry, nobody's really cr- cracked the, um, the, the the non-alcoholic wine yet, in my personal opinion, because um, it's much harder, I think. But but there's some amazing non-alcoholic beers and ciders around, and and. We need some grown-up soft drinks um, uh, aligned to that. Absolutely, and I think, I think we're seeing innovation in that space, and, and especially things like the sugar tax have had an impact on it, so people are looking at alternatives. But we are starting to get some of these brands coming through, and I've been to restaurants recently with my friends, and they're sitting there, and they say, you know what, I'm going to have, I'm going to try that non-alcoholic beer tonight, or an alternative elderflower presse rather than a gin and tonic. And we're seeing that innovation in that space really coming through, and I don't think that's going to stop for some time yet. 
I agree. I agree. So um, we're just going to sort of finish off now. Um, so I'm at the International Food Exhibition. We're at Excel. Um, if you are going to uh, come along next year, and to be honest, people start booking now already, even though it's next March, um, you really need to plan it. You really need to take advantage of all the advice and support that's around. Um, and, and so don't just book on there. Make sure you take advantage of that. And um, keep this podcast a hand, I would say. Before you're exhibiting, have a little play and, and make sure you, you, you know, do all the top tips. Now, I know, Soraya, you're absolutely exhausted. Um, I can't even imagine the logistics involved in getting 1,300 people here with their cooking appliances, electricity, refrigeration, freezers, um, everybody arriving all at the same time in cars and vans and lorries. Um, I presume you've got a great team behind you that you'd like to just call out. We have an incredible team at Fresh Montgomery. They're a brilliant bunch of passionate people who love events and love the food and drink and hospitality industries. They work hard. Our operations girls are on site for 10 days straight building up the show. Then the sales team come in and deliver customer service for the exhibitors once they've got in, help to troubleshoot, because let's be honest, you can't quite run an exhibition without a few little hitches and glitches. So we have the sales team coming in to help the exhibitors during while they're building their stands, troubleshooting if, if a light bulb doesn't work, getting an electrician to change that light bulb for them. Then we have an incredible marketing team who drive all the visitors to the show. Um, and then we actually call in all the rest of the business and they come in on site and manage our theatres, um, manage our VIP guests. I was going to say, I didn't even mention all the talks and the, uh, the, the, the fantastic seminars you have. Yeah, we've got a number of um, theatres here at the show and again, it's all about a taste of tomorrow and future-focused debate. So we have a Talking Trends Theatre, which is all about, well, trends, let's be honest. So panels on what's the future of the plant-based industry, for example, or the World Food Innovation Awards were hosted there this week. We then have a Tasting Trends Theatre, which is a sort of a... Uh, a, an experiential journey through um, through an area at the show where we have a different theme each day. So I think yesterday was gut health, and you'll go through try a, a snack, a starter, a main. Miss that? You're gonna have to show me after I've finished recording this. Point me in that direction. I missed that one. I will take you on a pers- on a tour myself, Sue. <laughs> Okay, and if you want to exhibit next year, um, I would crack on because actually it's important to book early to get exactly the right space for you. Where do people go to learn more about it? Um, They can visit the IFE website at www.ife.co.uk. Contact me or any of my team and we'll happily talk you through what it's all about. And as you know, as usual, we'll put links on the uh, Food Talk website. And um, I really would take advice and make sure that if you are going to... you know, uh, just push the boat out and have an exhibition stand that you get all the advice you can and you're absolutely prepared. So um, thank you again to Soraya, absolutely amazing guest. Thank you so much. Uh, You've been listening to the Food Talk Show and as you know, we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, the podcast app and practically everything. Um, Thank you again to Soraya, my lovely guest, and someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector. If you know anybody, please do get in touch with us Um, via Twitter is best. So that's on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts now going back four years, go to foodtalk.co.uk or via the Great British Chefs website. Have a good week.